Amen. After I finished announcements just a few moments ago, I passed Chris, who was in the uh, drama skit production, whatever that was, and he just looked at me. He said, he got with a deep sigh. He said, well, still no pictures on social media yet from yesterday. Oh, they're there. We're just saving them. We're all just keeping those things just to the side. It was a, uh, it was a good day. So it's, you know it's a funny skit when there's grown men that are really trolling social media going, when are the pictures going to pop up? So it was, uh, it was fantastic. Um, we are uh, going to be in a couple of different passages of Scripture today. Um, I'll be letting you know where those are as we come up. We're going to start, um, we're gonna start off, uh, so I quote it right, in John chapter 1. Um, I don't know if you remember. I, I, well, let me start this way. Uh, having three sons, um, I am learning something about their culture the more that I spend time in and around their schools um, that is really, really concerning me. Um, I just went on a, a, a long field trip to Gettysburg with my fifth grader, and, and I've, I've been filling in as lunch parents some at the schools. And, and what is disappearing are, are any games that, like, keep score where there's a win. There's a lot of ties in their generation, um, which is a little disconcerting to me because I'm, I'm just kind of like, you know, how, how do you know who's a winner, who's a loser, who needs to work on something, right? Like, I'm, yes, I am that dad. Like, I'm the guy that wants score kept. Um, I, like, I remember, you, you remember being picked for a team? You remember having to wait through all those selections? Some of you never had to wait. You were always the first pick. That was Dan and Brett, I can tell, just by looking at these guys. They were always the first pick. Probably just picked each other, like, just as long as there was one captain in the family. So, it, you know, it, we, we, we would pick people. Like, we would evaluate. Like, we would look at people, and, and we, no, no, not them. Not, not until the very end. Not until that's the last possible option. And I'm not saying it was the kindest thing in the world, but, like, we played games. There was a game we played when I was a kid in, like, in structured PE. It was called Spoke Tackle Relay. Just by the name of that, it just sounds like there's going to be some sweat and snot just getting knocked around out of some kids, right? I mean, like, it was the whole purpose of the game was to hop up out of your line and chase other people, and if you could catch them, you could tackle them to slow them down to get back to your place in line. And when you got back in your place in line, a PE teacher said, you got a point. It was just for one point. I mean, we were killing people for a point, Right? I mean, those games kind of taught us some lessons. Like, you knew who, could, like, who you could trust in a tough situation of life. Like, the winners of Spoke Tackle Relay, these are the people that you wanted by your side for the rest of your school career, right? There's, there's different times in life where we still, even out of, like, the old days of P, where we go through these processes of where we're kind of picking our team. Um, we, have, um, we, we have a lot of firemen um, and first responders here at our church, and um, I, I'm not in a job where, physically my life depends on someone else and how they're going to perform their task. Like if I was one of these amazing firemen and first responders that we have, I would want to just stand up in a meeting and go, can I pick my team? Like I want to hand pick my, don't give me anybody. Like I want to hand pick my team because if my life depends on it, that's it. Um, you remember group projects? Do you do group, maybe, does anybody do group projects just within your job? Like you have to work with teams in your job, just curious. I'm sorry. Um, I, that just like day in, day out. I'm sure you have people that you're just like, oh, here we go again, right? Because if we could just pick people, right? If we could just go through and say, I want this person, this person, this person to work with me over this thing, where would you go? Would you go for the A team or would you just go, you know what, let's just try life with the B team this week? Probably go for the A team. 
And we would probably go out and we would probably really try to find people that we felt like we could trust the best, that were most gifted for whatever it was. We would go straight to them. Like none of us, even as kids, just went, you know what? I want some friends. Um, let me find the kids that really tell on each other a lot and, um, you know, just whine about everything. Let's, like, I want to just go and be with those guys, right? Like I want to be with them. We would, we would kind of pick and choose pretty selectively. Now, when we see this thing called the church that we're all a part of that started um, as Jesus ascended into heaven, um, there was somewhat of a team there at the beginning. Um, and, and even long before that, there was a little bit of a selection process that Jesus walked through at the beginning of his ministry. And one important step, I believe, in us becoming disciple-makers is us understanding how did Jesus choose us? How does he see us? How does he look out in the crowd and say, okay, you, you, and you, and you are, are with me on this? Like, what did that look like? Because, again, our, our tendency is let's, let's go for the best. Because being... Being a true disciple, there's, there's a quick definition that I want to put on the screen um, to kind of just set a, a little bit of a common ground for us this morning. Being a true disciple means that, that we are a listener, learner, and a follower. That's, that's really true discipleship. Um, as a growing disciple, that doesn't mean to follow Jesus, we have to have our life completely perfect and all figured out. But it does mean that we listen, we, we hear what he says, we, we will stop our lives and we will acknowledge what his voice says. We'll learn from it. We'll, we'll understand how to take that and apply it into our life, and we'll go and, and do that thing that he speaks to us about. Now, some of us at times, I, I've been there. I've been a whole lot better just listener than I was learner or follower. Sometimes I was a good listener, and I would learn, but then I would, I would hold my line there and not really follow in. It was, it was a process of growth. That's, that's a growing disciple. To really be a true functioning disciple, we have all three of those parts. Well, within Jesus' culture, he was 30 years old at the time that he started his ministry, which was the age that you could be a teacher, a rabbi. You could have an official status, a place. You could have the right to call people and, and really assemble people under your teaching. But their culture did this in a way that we probably would have been okay with because it's kind of how we would have choose if we were the leader to find a group of followers. There's a few things, just kind of as background, that I'm going to put on the screen. I'm not going to read all these words, um, but just to kind of give you an idea of what the normal process would have looked like for a young Hebrew boy to, be one of, to, to make it to be one of these disciples would have um, started Torah school at about age five. And by age 10, he would have learned the Torah, which was the law that was within the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, okay? So in learning that law, after about... At about age 10, at that point in time, um, it, it, was kind of, it, it, was, it was kind of decide what your future was going to look like. For some boys, they would go then, having learned that, they learned enough to know how to basically follow and obey God. They would then go home and then start a process of finishing some other education and, and jump into the family business. But for some, they, at age 17, if they really wanted to make a career, a religious career out of studying the Word, out of really knowing God and pursuing this as a path, they would go and find a teacher, a rabbi. They would go and search for them and ask 
to spend time with him, asked to be seated. And basically, this became kind of like a tryout process. This rabbi would then have a chance to ask them some questions, see where they were on stuff, see how quick they could retain information. And that, that teacher was able then to go in and select the absolute best that they could discover to say, yes, I'll accept you in, because they had one main focus goal, produce this group of people at a point that they would look like the teacher the best. So in other words, you were, you were judging people. You were looking at somebody and saying, okay, do I think that you can live like me and teach like I believe accurately? Can you do it well? Like, at the end of our time together, when I release you, when people see you, will they think of me? How well will you do that? And if they didn't think that somebody could do a good job at it, they got bumped off to the side. They weren't chosen, which is very, very different in how Jesus not only chooses us, but for sure we can see very different in how he chose the first small group of people that he actually, instead of him waiting on them to come find him, he went and searched them out and said, hey, come follow me. So we're going to go through a few passages, look at a couple questions um, that, that really are pointed at what are we seeing as Jesus is calling these people out. Um, some of us have read enough of the Bible, we think that Jesus just showed up at work one day with these guys, and he was like, hey, stop your job, quit your job, come, come live with me. And they were like, all right, cool, this job kind of stunk anyway. And so they just peeled out for a better opportunity. Jesus was in Galilee. The, these were a little bit of relationships that had already been started. They would have had some familiarity with each other. Um, at this point, Jesus was older than all the disciples, um, many of them were within this age range, young age range. And because they weren't looking for a teacher, we can pretty much assume that all 12 of these disciples, were none of them were on the path to seek religion. And for many of us, that's how we began our relationship with Jesus. It was a relationship that we weren't even looking for at the time. We weren't ready for. But God found us and called us, and we began walking with him. Um, in John chapter 1, I want to read a few verses. This is, this is really initial interaction with Jesus and a few of the disciples that we know that he called to walk with him. In John chapter 1, verse 35, it says this. The next day, um, this is after John had baptized Jesus, after people had seen some evidence. This, this guy is different. There is something going on here that, that's, that's out of the norm. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They were followers. Some of, at least a couple of, Jesus' followers were already um, somewhat religious because they were actively listening to the teaching of John. He wasn't serving as their rabbi, um, but they were there in the mode of listening to some of this preaching. It says, um, when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, um, where are you staying? He says, come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. So there was time uh, for conversations. There was time for them to ask Jesus questions, who he was. Uh, he was no doubt able to share some of what he knew that he was there for. He, he had to teach them some things. He had to share some, some parts of who he was with them. About four in the afternoon, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. 
he first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You're Simon, son of John. You will, um, you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Later, he uses this nickname that he gave him, which becomes really what everybody knew him by, to illustrate this idea that, that Jesus, as the cornerstone of the church, was going to start building this massive group of people on these disciples, these apostles. So here's the first question I want you to think about. Who is Jesus and who does he say I am? Who is Jesus and who does he say that I am? It's very interesting. When, when Jesus begins this relationship, when he begins some of these interactions, when they come and they stay with Jesus for a little while, they're there with him throughout the day, they're having conversations, we seem to come to two places. There's an understanding that Jesus was, in their minds and their understanding, sent by God. And Jesus communicated clearly that he knew who these guys were, which is really interesting. Because again, what should a person in Jesus' position be doing? He should be evaluating talent. He should be kind of like a scout. If he knew these guys, he knew that they were really on track to be professional fishermen. That wasn't an insult. That was a really good career. It was very lucrative. They were going to have a good business. They were going to have a very comfortable lifestyle. And in looking at these guys, he could see, hey, you clearly have chosen to not pursue someone like me. He knew Peter enough to know who he was at that moment. He knew who he had been. He knew his dad. He referenced his dad. And he also, we know, because of the age that we live in, he was also looking into Peter's future, and he knew everything that he would do. Knowing everything about him, he still continues this offering of a relationship. It's very backwards from what probably we would do, and it's for sure it's outside of what they would have done normally in that culture. Here's the second um, passage, Matthew chapter 4. Now, at this point in time, Jesus was already preaching his gospel message. He was already clearly a communicator within this town. It says, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, that's who we just left, and his brother Andrew, the, the, these two guys who were so critical in this first interaction. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, at this point in time, it seems as if these guys are just the um, kind of the amazing on-fire Christians that we all think we ought to be. At this moment, consider, they had already knew some background information about Jesus. They had already had a chance to hear him teach. They had some one-on-one -on -one conversation time. This was an ongoing relationship. This is something that had already really kind of taken root some. And as Jesus sees them working, it's not because they didn't like their job. Again, they are in a really good place in life. He calls out to them. He says, hey, guys, I want, I want to take what, a little bit of what you're familiar with and I want to then kind of turn it around and use it for a new purpose. Now, we know what it means when it says fish for people. Like, we've been around church enough. 
But remember, they had no idea what he was talking about. Because for them, you were either Jewish or not Jewish. You were either part of God's family or you were on the outside. This whole idea of recruiting in was very foreign to them. But notice how Jesus always makes connection points. If you fast forward when he talks about talks to the disciples before he goes back to heaven, he says, I'm going to make you my witnesses in um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other parts of the earth, to the outer parts of the earth. There's two basic kinds of nets that they would have used when they were fishing. There was a net that would have been about 15 feet wide. It would have been circular. That would have been for shallow water. In other words, you were in depths that were under your control, that were very comfortable. It was, it was, it was within reach. You would use that net to, to fish then. The other kind of net was when you were doing deep water fishing, and it was only about eight feet wide, but it was incredibly long. And when you would throw that out, it was a drag net. It would come in, and it would go out in far reaches. You, you, you realize that, that Jesus, and he does, he does this in our lives all the time. If you think about, you, you come in on a Sunday, and you hear, you hear something preached, and you go, you know what, God's all, God already was, was speaking to me about that. And then the very next week, about midweek, it's like, boom, something else happens. That's, that's Jesus communicating to you, okay? He, he, he connects these dots in our lives. He tells them at this moment, you know what it's like to fish close and fish far? Yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do that intentionally for people. In the very end, no doubt, these guys are like, holy cow. Like, that's what he told us, like, back when we were fishing, near than far. So he connects all these amazing dots for him. But, but here's a question I want you to consider this morning. Where is Jesus calling me into, and what will that call me out of? As we live our lives as Christians, if we want to walk closer to God, if we want to live more like Jesus, because that is one very, very similar goal from what Jesus was doing to any teacher, was to get people to do it like he did it. So for us, the fact that we are probably more B team than A team when it comes to God picking his people, and when you think about the decisions you make, and I think about the decisions I make, and I realize if Jesus, like Peter, knew me before and now and in the future, he's going to know three different stages of mess-ups in my life. And if he knows me like that, that means that I am not naturally just like him. So to take one step towards him, I'm going to need to step out of something in my life. Now, for, um, for, for these four particular guys, what they needed to step out of wasn't necessarily a bad thing. But for them, their current career was going to greatly limit who specifically God needed them to be. Now, please understand the difference. Because if you mishear that, you may think, okay, well, to be a real Christian, like, I, like you just got to be a pastor. You got to be somebody that's like working in full-time ministry. No. These particular people were going to be apostles. They had a very specific role in the early church. They needed to have a lot of information because they did not have the written word. They needed to have a lot of information to go back to in their life to go, hey, look, we were in this particular situation with Jesus, and this is how it went. Do you ever teach people 
Or have you ever been taught that way by somebody? Like they use their life as the main resource for the conversation? You ever sit down with somebody and say, hey, listen, when I was at, when I was your age, when I was at your stage, when I was at your, at your point in your career, um, when I was much younger, and then you give them that, or you've heard somebody, heard somebody pour into you like that? That's what they had to be for the early church. So for them, yes, their day-in, day-out job was not going to provide them with the time to be able to live so closely with Jesus like they needed to. For us, if there is something that's not necessarily bad, that is in interference between our walk with Christ, Jesus will communicate to us about that. He'll clearly let us know. Whether it's something good or something sinful. For me, I, I've got, and, and, and you, I, you probably can tell in some of the sermons that you've heard in the last six months, for me in my life, God has made me very aware of the things in the last six, nine months, a year, especially, he's really been working on me and saying, listen, this thing that you're doing, this is a sin. Some of it, he's like, you know it's a sin. And some of it, I've had to really learn what he wants me to live like to know that I'm actually not living well. And to do what he wants me to do, I, I, I got I to gotta, like, take one step out of that and into something else. Um, I'll give you a good example. Um, one of the things that um, God has really shown me in the last few months, um, for me particularly, is something that he's shown me with my sons. When I was their age, from my youngest to my oldest, um, I, I, I just didn't have a dad around. He just, he just wasn't there. For a period of time, I would see him a few hours, a couple of Saturdays a month. That, that, was, that was it. That was the limit to my interaction. So functionally, as far as how do I, like, how do I think about my dad, how do I think about a father, it, it wasn't there. So what I've come to realize recently and painfully aware of, uh, my tone um, the way I say things, the way I just bark something and, and they, they receive it, the way that builds up within them, I'm realizing to be the, the father that God wants me to be, it's not just that I need to step out of bad actions or, or, or insensitive words. I'm having to step out of ignorance. Because honestly, when I look at my sons, I'm like, I don't know what you need from me. Because I never had a me around when I was your age. But I do know that God is calling me into that. So I'm trying to figure out what does it mean to step out of ignorance. To step into some level of understanding so I know what else to step out of. Um, when God calls us into a relationship with him and salvation, what is he, what is he getting us to step out of? A, a life that's ruled by sin, right? And separation. So in anything, it's, it's going to be a step towards and a step away. The, the, that's, that's the beauty. Um, and and it, it's a two-for-one, right? If you're cheap like me, you like two-for-ones, right? Like, I, like if, if I go up, I, the other day, um, I, I had a lady, um, I, I, was, I was going just to get a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit because that's a good thing to do in the morning. I don't know what you do in your morning, but any morning that starts with a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, it's a pretty solid morning. And at the counter, she's like, you know what? I can ring this up two for one. I almost kissed her. I mean, I don't even know her. She honestly looked like her breath was probably not fresh. But I mean, at that moment, I was excited. I was like, yes, two at one time. Absolutely. Think about this. As you live for Jesus, if you go, okay, Jesus, you're telling me to do this. Kind of as you take one step, you're stepping away and forward at the same time. 
It's pretty remarkable. I bet, I bet, I bet you're growing closer to God at a better, faster, more effective rate than you probably even realize, whether it's in listening, learning, or following. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Here's the last um, passage that we see. This is uh, Luke chapter 5. Um, some, some people feel like Luke chapter 5 um, is a deeper explanation, a more detailed explanation of what happens in Matthew and is also recorded in Mark. But really, when you, when you study these, there, there does seem to be um, a clear difference that this is a, um, this is a follow-up incident, a follow-up occurrence, um, as Jesus was calling them, because um, when they left, um, when, they, when they walked away um, from what they were doing, they didn't just leave it. They, they really kind of just said, okay, the, the work is still going on. They left their nets with someone to make sure that they got finished. They're still thinking of, you know, at the moment, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from this and really focus more attention on you, Jesus. But there was always that, okay, I've got this to come back to. Um, in Luke chapter 5, it says this, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked, uh, We worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's son, who were Simon's partners. See how Jesus just kept bringing all these guys back together? Similar situations, again, communicating, similar message, connecting the dots, so that they kept seeing a revealing of who he was, so that they could trust him more and more. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land. They left everything and followed him. Here's my last question for you this morning. Um, what are the specific last things that keep you, keep me, from following Jesus and reaching others. Um, for, for Simon, Peter, um, there were a few things that were keeping him from really saying, okay, I'm somebody that's going to go and follow. Some of it was identity. He, he simply had passed on the opportunity to pursue a religious career. Um, he, he was most likely the oldest of all the disciples, Simon Peter was the only one, most likely, when they started following Jesus, that they feel confidently over church history that was over, that, that was like a few years past 17. He, he wasn't the old guy in all the paintings that you see at the Last Supper. This was a young, rugged crew, right? He was in a career um, that was pretty lucrative. And to do this job, you had to be pretty physically fit. Um, Peter's appearance... His presence, his confidence as a business person, 
It's probably some of the natural abilities that we see God kind of use and draw out of him when we see Peter really become a successful communicator in the early church. But, but Peter realized that he wasn't worthy <clears throat> of Jesus. He realized who he was in comparison to Jesus. And for all of us, we hit that wall at some point. We look at ourselves, and we don't feel like we are good enough. And just that alone can be enough to freeze us. That's what fear does. Fear is the opposite of faith. Doubt's not the opposite of faith. It's fear. Fear freezes us, locks us down. In fact, Peter even, Peter even changed his whole posture in fear. It, it froze him. He said, okay, I realize who I am, and I realize who you are, and I can't be you. And for him, he knew if he followed him, that had to be the ultimate conclusion because their culture was built on discipleship. See, we know discipleship. Right now, someone is influencing you or has influenced you, and you are influencing someone else. That's just a basic form of, of, of disciple-making. But for them and their culture, I mean, this was hardwired into them. So when he looked at Jesus, he was like, no, that is not, you got the wrong one. Like, I cannot be you. And he told him, he said, don't be afraid of that. And many times that's what Jesus is speaking into our souls as he connects the dots. He's whispering into us the thing that is locking you down from taking even just one more step towards me and one more step out of something else is what you're afraid of, what you don't know, or what you fear may happen. He tells him to not be afraid because ultimately, as it says here, when it says that he left everything, many of us just look at that and say, you know what, everything had to be the whole business. And it was. It was a total career change for Peter. Total career change. But he also had to leave behind this crippling fear. So when he got up, he didn't just say goodbye to dad and the retirement plan that they had worked out. He had to say goodbye to things locking him and freezing him down in that moment. Did it ever come back? Yeah, it did. It did. Because many times, as we're going to see, um, and we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, um, many times the very thing that we lay down last is the first place that we go back to. Does that make sense? Um, think about it. Uh, where did Peter and all of these guys go when, when Jesus was crucified, they went straight back to fishing. One of the last things that he laid down was his financial security and, um, and, and his ability to be just in his own natural comfort zone. So what happened when he got scared and, and he had a moment of fear again um, after Jesus left? He went straight back to the last thing that he had to lay down. If you think about it, think about the sins that have been the most difficult um, for you to get past. Uh, for, for many men, that's why men struggle so much with pornography. Um, we, it goes on and on and on, and then, and then we, we, we take steps to, to try to walk away from it, and we say, okay, we're going to lay it down. But many times, it's the last thing we lay down, so as we begin to struggle spiritually, it's the first one we go back to. Um, when we struggle with relationships and, and we start to have conversations, maybe not even physical things, but conversations with other people that are outside our marriage or something like that, then we, we say, no, we, we, we got to move away from that. And then we move back towards our marriage. But when, when marriage starts to get rocky again, what's the very first place that we go back to? We find someone else or go back to someone else 
that we've been connected with in the past. Um, as young people, we have a lot of high school, college students, and, and middle school students all through our services when we have Sunday worship. Um, I, I remember walking through those years, and, and what do you do when you're, when you're living in a culture and, you, and you're around things where it's, there, there's certain decisions that are, that are really just heavy over you, and it's, it's just kind of this natural, this, this must be what I am. And you take one step outside of that, and you say, okay, I want to I separate myself from that culture, and I want to start living in a little different way. What, what happens when you get stressed, you get worn down, you go right back in. Um, that's, that's what so many, of us, so many of us do as a habit. So it's, it's important not just to know what are the last things, what, what, is, what is that last few things that I seem to be holding on to in my walk with Jesus. It's so important to know them so we know what we need to lay down, but we also need to know them so we know what could be my next big pitfall, what could be the, that next obstacle down the line. Many times we, we surrender financial security. Like Peter, we, we become generous, but then a financial blip happens. Um, we, we, we lose a little bit. We get a little bit nervous, or we see something we want, and what do we do? We, we go right back to not being generous. Um, it, it's, that, it's that last thing. I want to I put a few things up on the screen now just to kind of um, really show the differences of, of what Jesus did and how he called people from what we just even first looked at um, about what was the cultural norms. Um, the first thing is this, Jesus doesn't choose the best, he chooses the willing. Um, it's, not in our, it's not in our abilities for him, but it is what he can do through us. Uh, in their culture, one thing that we don't ever really see uh, and hear a lot about, but you know had to be present, I mean, think about this, in a culture that did what they did lifestyle-wise, when they looked at Jesus, then they saw the 12 people that came behind him, there had to not be a whole lot of respect right there, right? And here's what we know. I want you to, I want you to consider, when we talk about abilities and who we are and who Jesus calls, um, of the disciples, seven of his disciples, we're pretty sure, seven of his disciples were professional fishermen. Uh, it would have been like saying these are professional business people. Yeah, I mean, they were laborers, and sometimes we think, man, these must have just been some kind of roughneck guys because they, 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 they fish for a living. Um, this like this wasn't Jesus recruiting Larry the Cable Guy, right? <laughs> like there is a difference here. I mean, these guys had to be physically fit, but also they had to work hard. They had to be wise business people. Um, one was a tax collector. He was hated by everybody. One was a religious and political um, extremist. We always want one of those in the car with us whenever we're going somewhere for long conversations. Um, one, Judas Iscariot, seems to have some type of financial background, but still the whole time struggled with just, you know, managing money and, and just fearing about having no money. There's two disciples that we just, we simply really just don't know what, what their full background was. Think about one step past them. I want to go one step past them. Paul, would you, would you, would you agree that we probably think that Paul's probably one of the greatest kind of Christians and missionaries and probably speakers in the New Testament? Here's a description an early description, early writings of, of how someone related um, their, um, their sight of Paul when they first met him compared to when they then really heard what his heart was. Check this out. Um, quote, a man of small stature, there's nothing wrong with that, people. A man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs, which also in their Greek language could have been translated knees that were far apart. Right? So, in a, in a good state of body, and that, that probably meant a little bit chunky, a little, little soft around the middle. Uh, again, nothing wrong with some of these descriptions. 
with eyebrows meeting unibrow. That's, that's the Greek word for unibrow, however they translate that. Um, and a nose that was somewhat hooked. That was their first impression. As they continue, as they heard his heart after they saw the first impression, then it says, full of friendliness. For now he appeared like a man, and now he had the face of an angel. Now, I'll be honest with you. How do you go from being bald, bow-legged, and unibrow with a hook nose to face of an angel? Because what God does through you, not your own natural abilities. Let's face it, natural abilities, that description right there, ladies, we can start a social media profile and prove our point and see how many women want to jump on this guy's page, but I'm pretty sure that's rejection. Trust me, I can speak. I know what rejection feels like, and, and, and I'm pretty sure that this guy would have been in my club, okay? Again, it's not our, our abilities, it's what Jesus can do through us. He chose us, not we him. In other words, these disciples were not looking for a teacher. And no matter how much we think we were the one that walked the aisle, we were the one that said the prayer, we had no clue, no clue of what it meant to really want Jesus like Jesus knew what it meant to want us. Our primary calling is to be with him. Many of us jump right to, what did the disciples do? What miracles did they see? Mm -mm. First primary call, follow me. Spend time with me. Be with me. Uh, when we as believers don't spend time with him, um, we're actually, um, it's not that we're not, we're missing kind of the, the, the last set of instructions. We're actually overlooking the first initial responsibility and privilege. To follow him, we have to leave all. Um, the hardest thing to leave is often the first thing that we go back to. Um, and he commands us <clears throat> to spiritually reproduce. Now, ultimately, that's, that's what Jesus is calling us to is to spiritually reproduce ourselves. Now, um, I, I've really, this, this year has been a year like never before that I've really been in prayer over how God really wants us to just really use Easter as we, as we move forward at church. The North American Mission Board has, been, um, has really been pushing a campaign for a number of months now, and it's something that I felt like God was really wanting us to really um, begin focusing on um, after Easter. And it's simply this question. The question will be on the screen. Um, and, and you may have seen it with other churches because a lot of other churches um, got their kits when we got our kits and they, 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 they went ahead and launched into it. But it's simply called, Who's Your One? Now, um, if you've been here long, you know that our church is not a lot like many other churches. Um, and, and this program is a package program. It's aimed at four weeks of prep, four weeks of ex execution. Um, but... As I looked over that, I thought, man, this is a lot of good information. But, but what does that mean? In eight weeks, we're done? Because with this, we're never done. When Jesus has called us, and he says, the command, the order, the instruction, is to make disciples. And as we see, discipleship isn't something that you can just get done in eight weeks. It's not something that you can just, you, you're, you're going to see people in your life. Think about the people that you know, that you know, you know, you know, that don't know Jesus. And still don't know Jesus. It's living proof that those decisions don't always happen quick. I've got people in my life I've been praying for and witnessing to and, and, and working hard for for years and years and years and years of my life. And I believe we all do. We all do. So what, what I want to do is, is I want us to take and, and look at this over, and this isn't going to be the theme of every sermon. This is going to be the, 
the series every month. This is going to be something that we're just going to come back to in some repetitive ways and say, hey, listen, for this upcoming month, as we think about, we pray over, we focus on who our one is, let's have as a goal this month to do this particular task. Some of those tasks may be intentionally bringing them into your or my home to spend time with them, to open our doors. You know what that signifies? You know how special that is for people when they get to come over to your house? They get to spend time with you? Most of us are too stressed over what our house looks like to even invite anybody over when we realize that has extreme value. I often tell the story. I had a huge, when I used to be a youth pastor, I had a huge group of seniors one year. And I asked them, and these are kids that for, for years and years had gone out of the country, in the country, missions trips, camps, huge events. I mean, we went everywhere. We did, I did some of the craziest stuff in the world. We had so much fun. I said, what do you, what do you just look back on and think, man, I love that. Boom, immediate answers. We love when we, we got to spend time over at your house. What? My house? Like my small, cramped-in house? Yeah, your house. It was great. I had a kid, and I, this is not a wise activity, but I literally shot him with a water balloon launcher with, loaded with a grilled cheese sandwich one time. He teared up talking about it. I'm like, what kind of psycho are you? He said, man, he said, like, he said I know that was just insane. And he said, yeah, it kind of hurt, but like, we, just, we were together, and we knew at that moment we could talk to you about anything. So if somebody's not opening up to you right now, I make a great grilled cheese sandwich, and yes, I still, I still have water balloon launchers. We can shoot them this week together for the grace of Jesus, right? But in a couple weeks, we're going to have these out. We're going to have some prayer journals out. It'll be online as well. But, but I want to encourage you to really, this morning, to, to see what Jesus is doing in your life that matches what he started doing in the life of others. If, if we can set our egos aside for just a minute, no matter how good of a family we thought we had growing up, or no matter how um, much better we seem to get it um, from 16 to 21 than our other friends, no matter how we compare ourselves, we were chosen by Jesus when he saw us and he said, I want you, I choose to lay my life down for you. And he offered salvation and grace to us freely. That within our gift of grace that God gave us, when we could understand that we were not worthy, but that Jesus gave his life for us and that he was alive to give us hope, that we could choose Jesus. We were given the grace to choose Jesus. That we live lives that have pitfalls in them. The very last thing that we let go of is often the first thing that we'll go back to. And he gets that. He, he knew past, present, and future. He chose us knowing that the whole goal was supposed to be his ability to predict and have confidence in how much we could be like, live like him. When in, when in no doubt, he really saw actually the times that we wouldn't. But in all that, he's building us and growing us to also be reachers of others. So who your one is will need to be someone that's lost. That's, that's a safe one to reach, that we can begin intentionally having conversations, getting around them in their life, having their lives connect to our lives in many different ways, starting to share our faith intentionally, starting to pray not just for them, but with them. That'll be some of our specific goals as we do this. Um, just because we're Christians 
does everybody agree that we just don't do this kind of stuff naturally? Like we don't wake up and we're like, man, I'm sharing the gospel with 17 people today. We're going to see some people get saved. Does that happen for anybody in the room? But we do realize that we are supposed to do it, right? Like can we agree on that? Like that's, like there's going to be a day. You realize, like it or not, where we're going to see face to face. And there's going to be a whole lot of people around. And we're not just going to be accountable for our soul. We're going to be accountable for this thing called others. And I don't want to sit there with my hands behind my back, with my head down. Like Peter did, going, Jesus, I can't even be near you right now. I'll let you down. He knew knew I'd let him down. He knew Peter would let him down. Still called him. Still chose him. Still purposed him to do this. So over the next couple weeks, I just want you to be in prayer. Pray over people that you know are lost. Pray for a burden for specifically one of them. I want you to pray for people you know that struggle. Your one during this season may be someone that you get to walk closely with and disciple. Please hear this. We're not trying to ramp this up for church attendance. We're not trying to have a day that we just bring a bunch of people in. We're not trying to build Reedy Fort Community Church through this. We're trying to be faithful to God and what he's called us to do. Because if, um, if averages are really averages, statistics are really statistics, we'll share Christ with people that some will accept, some will not. Some will connect in a church, and it may not be here. Some will walk just just with you or with me for a while before they ever come to church. It's just about faithfulness. It's about faithfulness. Would you bow your heads, if you would, please, with me today? Um, I hope within this that, that you definitely have heard um, that Jesus uh, has, has made an insane, illogical, irrational move towards you because he's made the same one towards me um, and that he did lay down his life for my sin willingly he said it he said, I mean he predicted he said I, I mean before he was ever in danger of his life being taken he, he said out loud in front of everybody please know that I choose to lay my life down no one can take it from me because the scene looked like people took it from him but even on his last breath He chose to take his last breath. He picked the breath that he would take last to give himself back to his father so that we could have life. And you think about that kind of power. You think about that kind of purpose and that kind of... just I don't even... I really just don't have the words. He did that towards you. If you're not sure that you know God and you haven't come to a place where you... Like the Bible says, you understand that you have sin, you have wrong, and that Jesus paid for that to bring you close to God. And then in a, in a clear moment and, and, and through a time in your life, you say, you know what? Yes, I confess that Jesus is Lord. I, and, and, you, and you've prayed to God. You've gone to God for salvation in prayer and conversation, asking. Then you can do that this morning. You can begin that relationship. And if you do, we, we want to know about it. We'll, we'll show you in Scripture. And I, that, I really would, would love to be able to do that. We can do that here at the end of the service. We'll step out into a room. We'll talk. We'll have conversations. We'll make sure that, it, that you have time to, to see it clearly. And, 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 and you make the decision of what you feel like God is leading you to do.
if you know that you've done that today and you do that in this service, we have these blue connect cards that are for guests that we would love for you to fill out and, and let us just provide a little bit of information to you. But, but on that card, even if you don't fill out a lot of details, you can just you can check one of the boxes that said, I, I became a Christian today. But for those of us that know Jesus, there is much to do. And in light of the movement that Jesus made when he chose us, and the way that he did it, with the, with, the, with the knowledge, the process, failure before success, with what he went through for us, it seems so reasonable that as we grow, as we listen, and as we learn, and as we follow in, in single steps in many, many ways, that we take the time and we love people enough to go get them as well. So as we have this time where we'll sing one song together, just in worship, I want you to pray over this this thing that God has shown us today out of his word. I want you to pray over people and ask God to really begin to awaken that burden in your soul. If there's anything else that you would like to pray for, we would love to be available here up front and pray with you. God, thank you so much for your grace and your glory, for showing us yourself out of your word. God, we love you. So, God, thank you for the moments that we had in here. Help us, God, to take your word, to listen, to learn, to follow. Awaken our souls for who we are in you, not to be prideful people that think that we just have a right to be somewhere, but, God, that we were, were, we were, we were way more B-team than we ever want to give ourselves credit for, God. But thank you for loving us, and thank you for seeing us and knowing us, but still loving us enough to choose to bring us into your family. Awaken our souls to the awareness of others for their lostness, for their eternal destiny. God, help us to see your kingdom grow in what you do through us and not our own abilities and what we can do for you. Lord, we want to offer what we are to you. But God, we don't impress you with the way we sing, the way we speak, the way we, the way we work, the way we play. We don't, we, don't, we don't impress you with those things. God, it's what you do through us that brings glory to you. So through us, God, help your voice, your message be heard by people that need it most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? And as we sing together, this front altar area will be open.